Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. We're really excited today to have Sarah Vittori. She's a peak performance coach, and she specializes in fear and overcoming your fears. Sarah, we're so pumped to have you here. We would love to discuss a story to start it off. So, I mean, I really enjoyed your story on a pre-call. You started out as a school guidance counselor, and now you're teaching entrepreneurs how to overcome their fears and limiting beliefs. And I would love to hear your story because I'm sure you had to overcome them yourself in order to get to where you are. So can we just start off the show jumping into your journey from guidance counselor to fear coach, peak performance coach? Sure, love to. Thank you both for having me. Really great to be here. So I was always a rule follower and uh, a perfectionist and never really colored outside of the lines. And so I went to college like I was told and I got my master's program. I had a baby in the middle of that, which was a little out of the norm, but kind of doing the regular thing. And I went to school for counseling for guidance and stepped into a high school and said, oh shit, I don't want to work in a system. And so um, immediately was overwhelmed with the politics aspect of the job and the grind. And I know Matt was sharing, he's also worked in a school. And so he knows sort of guidance counselor roles are weird and you're on a teacher salary, but you're not a teacher and you're not administration and you get put in the middle of a lot of really messy stuff. And yeah, it wasn't going to work for me long term. So I, my dad, who's a sports performance consultant and had been in the work and doing the work for 40 years, as I was complaining one day, sort of just said, oh, hey, why don't you just like come and work with me? And so I was like, let's do that. Um, I stayed at the school for five years. My dad infuses a trauma modality in his work. So a lot of performance blocks or any blocks and fears that we have when we're navigating big things show up in the body. And so he um, is trained in something called somatic experiencing, which is a modality that works with the body. And it looks at we're mammals, we're wired for survival. And so that's sort of the foundation of our behavior. And so he said, go do this training. So I did the training in tandem of working at the school. It's a three-year training. And as I started to do the training, I recognized and realized how shut down I had been and disconnected from what I really cared about, what I liked. I had always done what other people had wanted of me and didn't really know that I actually could have my own thoughts and opinions, was always the good, agreeable girlfriend. You know, what do you want to eat? What music do you want to listen to? I never really learned how to think for myself, really. And so doing the training really awakened my system to this overriding I was doing. So a lot of people, when you think shut down, you think depressed or can't get out of bed. And my overriding was a very high functioning override, which I find a lot of us entrepreneurs get in, which is the hustle and the grind and the do more and the keep going and the stay up really late and the don't stop. And so I was learned, wow, I'm ignoring everything my body is communicating And at that time, my body had really started to break down. I was getting really sick. I was getting weird autoimmune illnesses. Uh, It was not not good. And I continued to go to work every day, continued to stay up really late. 
uh, writing letters of recommendations to kids and answering emails and all sorts of things. And one night it was 2 a.m. in the morning and I was banging off like my 80th letter for the counseling season. And I was like, what the f am I doing? Like, if I spent all this energy and effort into like my own thing, you know, I, I could really be doing something here. And so that really was sort of the sealed moment for me. I'd been doing this training in the somatics, waking my body up. I had been studying and mentoring with my father and seeing clients sort of with him. And I just had a moment five years in where I was, where I was like, I'm ready. I'm ready to take care of my body. And so I took medical leave and didn't know if I was going to go back, but the intention was to try to see if I could get something off the ground and start something. And yeah, so that's sort of like the nutshell. And then I shifted in. And so this is my sixth year of, of business of working for myself. Super cool. Well, first of all, thank you for taking the leap and building a business and having a story worth sharing. So I know that probably had some fear that you obviously had to overcome for yourself. Can you take us a little bit deeper into more about what somatics is, how it plays itself out, how you can learn from it? And then after that, I want to go into what allowed you to make that jump and the imposter syndrome. Sure, sure. Great question. So somatics is the study of the body. Soma means body. So when we're looking at somatics, we're looking at how our wiring as mammals, because we're wired to survive, is driving our behavior. So our main purpose in life is to survive. So if other things are interrupting that impulse, our body goes into automatic, what I'm going to call protective programs. The fight or flight, the Vegas. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we go into fight, we're going to fight or get angry. We run away out of fear, right? Or avoidance or procrastination. That's how that shows up too. We, for me, I also did something called clicking into the fawn response. So fawn is around when we're people pleasing and we're doing that to micromanage in order to like prevent bad things from happening, right? Putting bad things in quotes. And back in the day when we were living in caves, <laughs> danger was physical. There were giant animals. It was all around sort of our physical survival. And we're still wired in the same way, except our danger in our system, in our body, registers differently. So it can show up as fear, fear of making a mistake, fear of not being good enough, fear of saying the wrong thing, fear of being ostracized. All of those components register physically in the body automatically. We don't have control over this. So many people think you can mind your, mindset your way out of this or like make your body do something different. The body actually, if it feels fear, that overrides what our brain wants us to do. And so by learning and connecting to your nervous system, which is like this governing force of our behavior and drive, we can really access our potential and learn how to recognize when our body might be moving into one of these responses that I'm talking about if we don't want it to be. Because many times we're registering fear. It can be actual fear, like there's actually danger happening. So I work a lot with athletes. I work a lot with performers. There are a number of sports where there's actual danger. Gymnasts, you're flipping on a beam. You actually can physically hurt yourself. So we have this actual danger that shows up. 
We can also have memory of danger. So our bodies are super wise and they're designed to protect us. And so when something upsetting happens or scary, or we get into a car accident or we're spooked by a dog or we have an argument with someone, our body memorizes all those upsetting components, smells, touch, taste, sounds, the thoughts we were having, the temperature we were in and saves those things so that down the line, if we're reminded of them in any way, those automatic responses kick back in. So a lot of time when we're feeling fear, particularly as adults, it's really old stuff and it's not current. And we get caught up in thinking that it's about the now when it's really our body remembering this old stuff and then having these responses. And we're talking about physiological responses, right? Our heart rate increases, our breathing gets shallow, our muscles get tight. They're very regimented, organized things that actually happen in the body when this danger is happening. So we have actual danger, memory of danger, and or perception of danger. So if our body for some reason feels like it's gonna be harmed or ostracized, so fear is about our physical safety, but it's also about our emotional safety because we're wired to connect and receive love from our parents. That's what kept us safe in the caves. So the little baby didn't crawl out of the caves as cave people. We need that belonging. So when our systems might worry that we're not gonna fit in, it can click into these automatic responses. So that was a awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for going into that. And so yeah. essentially when you're measuring this, are you measuring this based on like a quantifiable, like, are you, you know, cause my understanding of how it works is you have these thoughts. These thoughts are then translated as good or bad. Essentially the good or bad, it then triggers either the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight system. And so essentially by the time you feel the feeling, it's already gone through the chain, which is, I think what you were expressing earlier. So when you're working to help people, how are you measuring? And is it like, is it just observation based or are there actually like, you know, quantitative numbers that you're finding or? Yeah, that's a great question. So from the perspectives that I'm trained in, we look at it a little bit differently than the order that you organized it. So when our bodies are activated, which is sensing danger or moving into anger or fear or excitement even, the, it's, the nervous system is receiving that information and certain things happen. One, we either get an increase of thoughts. So the body is often communicating before we're having the thoughts. And so in somatics, what we do in the work that I do with people is learning, you're learning how to listen to your nervous system and how it communicates. And the nervous system communicates through sensation. And so many times we're cut off from the sensations in our body because we're so good at overriding and ignoring. How many times you, you know, not go pee, even if you have to, right? Because you're doing one more thing or we're recording mm -hmm. one more, more show. And so there are ways that the body's communicating all the time. And so how we start to shift this or a step into this is starting to learn where our body is communicating, how it shows up for us so that we're catching it earlier than by the time we've got this flooding of thoughts, if that makes sense. Yeah. Just to dive a little bit deeper into it. So once you're, you're the sensations is, is the focal point. 
And so with the sensations, is it just asking patients how they feel and what they're not feeling? And then I'm just observing like what normal functions that maybe a healthy person would do that they're not doing. Yeah. It's a great question. So it's working with people to learn the sensations in their system. So I teach people an activation deactivation scale. So on a scale of zero to 10, when you're a zero, you're at baseline, right? That means I'm calm. I'm confident. I'm ready. I'm sort of at a, a relaxed place. Many times when you ask people, where are you a zero? Lots of people can't answer that these days because we're so stressed out as a culture. But it's a learning what your zero is and how it feels physically in your body. So feels not feeling like an emotion, but feels like sensation. So when I'm grounded and centered and ready, like before I'm going to have this podcast, I feel low in my belly. My shoulders are relaxed. I'm in an open stance if you're looking at me. If I was nervous, I would maybe my body would be in a different position. I'd be higher up in my chest. I might talk faster. So there are different signals that the body is giving us. And so it's a learning for your unique system on your scale of zero to 10, where 10 is like, I'm so stressed out. I don't even remember what I was going to say right? My brain gets wiped <laughs> or I'm I mean, my son hops up to 10 all the time and just pushes kids because he clicks into his fight response really quick, right? That's his 10. So it's a learning on the scale. Like, where are you physically? And so I don't, I can feel other people's sensations in my body because that's a gift I have, but I'm not telling people what they're feeling. I'm modeling for them and showing them and we're learning together like how is your body showing up and that comes through observation that comes through awareness building just like when we're working mindset we have to start to build awareness that i even have thoughts and that they're interrupting and they're taking over and then we learn to interrupt them so it's a very similar setup with that except we're looking at sensations then we're looking at how sensations affect the mind and how the mind affects sensations because we have mind-body connection, the thoughts that I have in my head impact my physiology. So if I'm starting to think about how stressed out I am or how overwhelmed I am, I'm going to start to pair that internally in my body. So then I have more thoughts, then I feel worse, then I feel worse, it increases the thoughts, and it's kind of a loop. So there is definitely in the somatics community discord around what comes first, chicken or the egg. Is it the negative thinking? Is it the body response? How is that sending? And it's really about learning your own body enough so that you can navigate when fear is coming up, you can navigate when you have a negative thought and then make shifts to turn it around. Cool. Which leads us into imposter syndrome. So Tim and all of us talked before the show. And one of the things a lot of our audience faces is this fear, and I'm sure your students did in high school of, you know, essentially not feeling like they're worthy. Tim, if you'll try to take us into this, and I know, Sarah, you're going to help us understand from your perspective how to think through this. Okay, I'm going to actually lead in with some backstory here, because you've already said so much that has resonated with me. I've already kind of identified a lot of the root causes, I think. <laughs> so, um, so, imposter syndrome, um, let, let's just boil it down. It, it almost is essentially the fear of not being good enough. 
right? Or perhaps it's a fear that, you know, what you have might be taken away to a degree. Um, so I'll just give you a little bit of backstory, right? So you mentioned the empathy from parents and, and things of that nature. So unfortunately, um, my mother left when I was like eight. And my father was an entrepreneur. So very hardworking. He's a realtor. He's crushing it, right? But I had a very extreme lack of positive reinforcement yeah. growing up. Um, and when I, I would say a very, very extreme lack. Um, so, and also part of the things that I think I battle with, with imposter syndrome in particular, it's like when I start doing something, I tend to have success really quickly. And then I feel like it wasn't challenging enough. And it's like, I shouldn't be where I am because that was too easy. Um, <laughs> and it's like, I thought it was going to be way harder. So, so there's some backstory. I think you could really build off of that. And like, I'm super vulnerable. I'll answer anything. No, that's great. Too. So can you give me an example of how it shows up? So I'm hearing that you might do something and it feels too easy and you might not give yourself credit for it. Are there other ways it shows up in terms of like negative thinking or doubts that happen for you? Um, sure. So, I mean, actually me and Matt were talking about this somewhat recently. Like I have a challenge celebrating anything. Yeah. Like any success that I've had, I, I, I mean, really, I don't celebrate anything at all. Like, I just feel like, okay, I did it. That wasn't that hard. Like, what else can I do yeah. now? Like, what is next? Um, so there's like a total lack of celebration. And I think that is in large part due to the lack of positive reinforcement in my life. Um, because that was just the norm. So I think I've been chasing this feeling of being positively reinforced my whole life and you know, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> keep going. I mean, I don't know where to go from yeah, here. Yeah, no. I but dive, dive in fully, painful. Tim. I mean, dive into the insomnia. Dive into some of these other things that that are connected to this. Okay, so insomnia is not so much of an issue now. It used to be a very huge issue. Obviously, insomnia is somewhat, somewhat genetic yeah. to a degree. Um, so my father has it. My sister has it. Um, when I was in high school, I worked full-time. I went to school full-time. And I generally was working on like three hours of sleep working a 60 hour work week. Um, so there's certainly insomnia involved. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm totally open to being but I'm vulnerable mm -hmm. here. I am bipolar, my mother's yeah. bipolar. Um, so this is obviously something that needs to be um, I need to be aware of. <laughs> and, and I don't know, let's yeah. go from there. No, I mean, I think everything you're naming is so, you know, so spot on in terms of what lots of people navigate with imposter syndrome, right? So you're not alone in, in any of it. And I think it's super helpful for whoever's listening to hear that. One of the things I'm hearing in your story, and so many of us hold this, is there's lots of components and layers that then feed into the imposter syndrome. So culturally, like if we just zoom out separate from your family, right? culturally we don't praise people who slow down right as a culture mm -hmm. we are in that hustle and the grind and if you're not sort of in that drive then you're doing something wrong or you're lazy or you're not doing enough and it sounds like given what you're sharing around your around your mom leaving and then dad was there and dad's an entrepreneur i imagine he worked a lot did mm -hmm. he work a lot yeah yeah. I was essentially like latchkey kids. Yeah. Um, so me and my sister, essentially, we, we did a lot of our own raising. Yes. Um, I don't know. I don't want to put it that way. Um, 
because <laughs> I love my father. He's a great person, but he was busy. He was dealt a terrible hand. You know, my mom took off, left him with two kids. He was 25 years old, so I don't want to throw him under the bus. I totally respect everything that he's done, but I also acknowledge that, that you know, that lack of positive reinforcement has certainly affected my life. Absolutely. And I think, right, our parents can only do the best that they can with what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so when we're talking about this or addressing any of it, it's not shortcomings of our parents. It's sort of these things happen. And then now my system operates in a particular way. And so we use it as insights in, but not blaming or shaming your dad. Like mm -hmm. it really sounds like he did, he did what he, he could given the hand he was dealt. And given the hand he was mm -hmm. dealt, you got modeling at home that in order to be successful, you just work. And we get that modeling in our culture, right? Like that's a cultural thing too. You just have to work and that means success. And if you stop to celebrate or you stop to rest, it's a problem, right? So that that's a component is this cultural piece. The other thing I think, um, and I'm not sure what your ancestral background is, but I'll speak to mine. So I grew up in Jewish, in a Jewish culture ancestrally, if you're not struggling, you're not going to be successful. So it was very much like both my parents, I love my parents, Seth, but both it was like, oh, like work harder, faster. Like if it wasn't like a big deal, then, nah, you know, next, on to next, check, right? So there are these <laughs> ancestral components that can come into and feed our behaviors. We actually hold patternings. Mm -hmm. They've done research now because the science is so advanced, but we hold intergenerational patterns, seven generations now they can track in our bodies, right? So like our parents and their parents and their parents like all the way back. And then if we want to go a little into the quantum and also seven generations forward, but maybe we won't go there today. So, <laughs> so we're holding a lot of those automatic patterns that I'm talking about right, that we started talking about, right, these protective patterns, you learned, right, that success means keep going, don't stop, don't celebrate, don't pause. So your system sounds like it's kind of stuck in that grind. And a lot of people um, who describe what you're talking about and have, ins have insomnia, because you're describing an activated nervous system that doesn't shut off. So my adrenaline and cortisol and all of those delicious chemicals that keep us going are running all the time. And so then my body can't mm -hmm. settle into that parasympathetic, that rest and digest. So a lot of people have digestive issues. They have illness stuff going on because we need a calm system to digest our food and to sleep really well. And so, yeah, there are all of these elements that kind of play into it. So the, so what I would say, like to start here is you're not doing anything wrong. Your awareness of all of this, right, is the first step to kind of making some shifts and, and finding that, that worth inside. And if you were going to be a client, how we would start looking at that would be helping you identify new core beliefs. There are core beliefs in there right now that like, you know, celebrating doesn't mean anything or isn't good. There's core beliefs that stopping, like 
means that then you're lazy or that, you know, whatever it is, I know you're not using the lazy word, but there's some beliefs in here. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is develop new ones in order for you to use those to sink into as an anchor in moments when your system is clicking into your automatic, like I got to keep going or like I can't celebrate right now. So like with the celebrations, one invitation would be every night, three things, three things you're celebrating that day. It could be like, I got up, I got up. <laughs> For me, it's like, I drank three glasses of water today. I, I you know, work from home. I homeschool. I have two kids. Me actually getting my water in is a really big deal. And so it's stopping and learning how to celebrate little things because that way our body learns how to digest that. It's very hard when we're not used to celebrating or have never gotten praise to then celebrate like really big things. That's like can blow out your system. So we start by trying to celebrate little things to kind of like step into that a bit. When I invite that, task. I'm just curious, what comes up for you to think about celebrating small things? Everyone who listens to our show knows Matt and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times you have watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. And the results prove this. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secret that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is why we have opened up a few one-on-one -on -one coaching slots with Freedom Chasers Coaching, where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are and where you want to go, and most importantly, how you want to get there. Where you can get a plan to financial freedom that is completely customized to fit who you are, where you want to go, and how you want to get there. The benefit of working with Matt and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 successful people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten the inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We are able to work with you to pick the strategy that will fit the best and then help you create the custom plan and steps to take you quickly into financial freedom. The fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us and let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Um, well, I think gratitude in nature is something that I, I spend a lot of time in. Like, I'm super grateful for the life that I have. I have an amazing wife. I have two great children. And, you know, I'm not broke financially. And I feel fulfilled in life. So, I mean, overall, um, I, I do think I express gratitude towards a lot of things. Um, I don't know if I celebrate the gratitude. I think maybe that's a different way to put it. So, I mean, <laughs> there is certainly gratefulness there that I acknowledge and I speak mm -hmm. of, but yeah, I suppose perhaps celebrating as opposed to just being grateful is perhaps a better way to do Yes. It. And I love the gratitude's a great in. I think that's a good starting point for people who feel 
like uncomfortable or icky or weird about celebrating because it is it puts our system in a higher vibration we're made up of energy so when we have more of those like positive feel-good thoughts like gratitude or joy or bliss or pleasure that's amping us up and putting us in a good space in our body and in our nervous system the invitation with the celebrating would be to celebrate yourself for something small right so like gratitude can be like i'm so grateful for my family i have this great wife and right like all these things and that can often be like like the situation or the environment or the people and so the shift here for you to start to play with would be what are you celebrating yourself for oh um that's a fantastic question the answer is i haven't done that at all um (laughs) so i suppose that's something i should consider introducing um (laughs) yeah that's just that's the kind of the gateway in in order to start to help your system calibrate to being okay with celebrating, especially if this was not anything that happened in your childhood. Like it's gonna be, it is, you're sharing. It's challenging for your system to entertain it. It's uncomfortable, it might feel icky. Yeah, what are you noticing? Yeah, it feels strange. It's, it feels weird just thinking yeah. about it. It's like, how am I going to celebrate myself for waking up? It's like, you're supposed to wake up. That's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it is a strange belief. I mean, you obviously... Yeah, I mean, I understand exactly the thought processes that you just outlaid for me. I mean, but yeah, I mean, that just thinking about it is a yeah. challenge. It's like, I, I mean, just the idea of it. Yeah. And so that's <laughs> another entry in, starting to think about it more. And as you do, can you feel your butt in your seat as you think about it? Mm -hmm. Can you feel your feet on the ground, right? So one of the ways that our body as an organism feels safe and comfortable is when it knows where it is in space. And so this feels really basic for people, but one of the main things to do when we're entertaining something that feels edgy or we're feeling fear or we're feeling anxiety or stress is to pause and check in physically in our body. Where am I? Like literally turn your head and look around the room and feel your body in the space. Because we're wired as mammals, that is a location. We're looking to make sure there's no predators. Our, Our physical body, this organism is evaluating the space. So as you start to entertain this, or as you maybe even edgy, we'll name one thing by the end of the the call about what we want to celebrate (laughs) you for, right? And notice that you might get a little activated thinking about it, right? Can you also connect to the fact that you're a body in this room, right? And that will start to edge you down a little bit. What are you noticing? Oh, I think my mindfulness practice is probably higher than the average person. Um, I I don't think I would be where I am in regards to my bipolar disorder and being able to control it if I wasn't. I would think mindfulness is is by far, without a doubt, the number one factor enabled in my ability to control that. Number one, like if I'm in a state of mania, I need to be able to identify that. Like this is a state of mania. You're having rapid thoughts. That's normal because you're bipolar just let them pass you don't have to acknowledge them like i heard um one of my doctors told me he's like it's like you're at a train station just because the train's going by doesn't mean you need to get on the train so that has been extremely helpful um in that regard 
Um, there's something I want to ask you because you brought up ancestral before, and I'm just kind of curious. So, I mean, I'll give you an idea what my background is. And my father's side has been here essentially from the very beginning of America. So they immigrated very early. Um, the last name Winfrey is an English name. Um, and, and that side of the family is primarily English, Irish, German. Um, and then um, his mother is actually my closest immigrant. Her parents were from Norway, so that is the closest immigrant to yeah. me is Norway. And, um, you know, basically I'm, I'm pretty much a mutt um, <laughs> from there. Um, from there, you know, I got French, a little bit of um, Italian and a little bit of Spanish. Mm -hmm. But it is largely spearheaded English, Irish, Norwegian. Yes. yes. And so did you have a specific question about that? No, I was just curious about how relative that are. Or, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was wondering if you had like a response based on an ancestry or if, it, or if that's more like a family upbringing thing. It's a both and, right? So there, we're going to notice patterns within different cultures that then emanate mm -hmm. through the generations and then how our parents' parents sort of were brought up and, and then how our parents were brought up and so and so forth. So it would just really be dependent, like we would want to like look at you know, what was going on in your dad's world and sort of those pieces okay. that came up. But what, and again, I'm, I'm Jewish, so I can really only speak like in depth from like my own work. But a lot okay. of clients that I've worked with who have like an English or Irish background, it is that like, you got to keep working. Don't stop. Like, like there's going to be famine. We have to collect everything, you know, moving to the new, like starting the new world. Like there was no pauses. There were no breaks. That's how a lot of those cultures really kept safe. And that's really the thing. Our system's looking for safety. And so it was safer for you growing up, working all the time and doing all of these things because that's what you were expected to do. And that's why you clicked into that. Now I'm hearing you maybe not like to have insomnia or these racing thoughts or the imposter syndrome, right? It's no longer generative for you. And so the brilliant thing about the body is that we then get to rewire and repattern those old programs. But absolutely what you're saying around working hard and not struggling, and that's really in line with other clients that I've had with similar, similar backgrounds. Okay. Very interesting. Yeah. I mean, on my dad's side in particular, entrepreneurialism is basically very evident. So, I mean, my grandfather was an entrepreneur. He owned gas stations. My father's an entrepreneur. And my grandfather actually did familial research. And he found that almost like 30 to 50% of our distant relatives we're an entrepreneur of some sort. So, I mean, that tends to run in the family on my Yeah. Side. And when we're entrepreneurs and we're starting out, we're doing everything you know, and we can't not, and we just keep going because we're trying to be successful. And especially if we have families, and I know certainly for those who identify as men, there's sort of this archetype of like providing for the family and caring for your family. And that also really can drive behavior. My husband talks to me a lot about it around, and that can cause more activation or anxiety in a body. Like if, you know, oh, if I stop, then maybe something's going to fall through the cracks, even if it's not necessarily true. We have those worried what if thoughts, we believe them as true. And then we're having feelings and sensations in our body as if those things are true. So it sounds like you've done, Tim, a lot of work around not 
believing those thoughts, to interrupt those thoughts, to not, you know, engage in them. And that's going to help the Mm -hmm. physiology. And then there's this other component of how do we help your body start to settle and not click into that automatic, I got to keep going sense, right? So that you can start to build in more relief and a new pattern in your body. Oh, God, this is all so tremendous. Um, <laughs> obviously, it resonates very strongly because you're talking directly to me. Um, you're <laughs> um, there's a question I really wanted to ask you um, in particular. So, I mean, so overcoming a fear based on your particular skill set, how do you identify which fears are worth overcoming and which fears are not based on your personality? Yeah, it's such a good question. And I'd be curious sort of on a case by case basis to sort of bring in the scenarios. But my initial response to that is fear shows up in the same way in the body, no matter what is happening. It's going to be different degrees, but it's learning around how to trust yourself and feel yourself separate from the fear so that when fear shows up, you can discern, is this something I want to go into or not? right now. And so a lot of times when I'm meeting with people, they don't have a sense of their selves that, you know, we're trained from very young to go neck up. We praise thinking, we're taught about thoughts, we're not taught about our physiology. This to me is to be foundation in schools right now. Like it's our stress response. It's it's how we're wired. It's automatic. And so it's learning those things so that I can have enough of a baseline so that when stuff starts to show up or pop into my sphere that's making me feel fear, I then have capacity to navigate it. Because a lot of times we're so jacked up and then it's just all consuming and then we can't do anything with it. And so if my system's more settled and then my body clicks into fear, I can differentiate and then work with that. And so in general, any fear that pops up is physiological. And so just learning physiological tools to settle your nervous system that are nervous system specific. It's a little bit different than mindfulness. It's important. Mindfulness is important, but it's literally clicking into your nervous system and helping it settle organically. That's where we start to reprogram at the body level. Oh, yeah. It's just a tremendous response. Um, It's funny how much you probably hit the nail on the head on just about everything you said. And I literally just met you like 30 minutes ago um i would love matt i would love to get your perspective on the way she sees me navigating through this yeah um i like that we got into a lot of your elements that are besides that so we can kind of form a more conclusive scenario and what i love to see is taking this in a direction where i mean you're a high school guidance counselor for a period of time. I was a high school teacher. Like I'm crazy fascinated with behavior and helping people. I mean, on the show, we want to help people have a life of freedom and purpose, which in order to do that for most people, we have to overcome things, which I thought was so cool that Tim wanted to talk about the imposter syndrome because a lot of people can't have freedom until they can overcome that. So if you wouldn't mind talking about, like if you were to have to go back and be a guidance counselor again, but there was no administration. There was no bureaucracy. Like I've thought about it. People ask me like, would you go back to being a teacher? And I'm like, if there was no administration, I would. You know, it's like, why did I go get a credential? 
You know, why did I spend all this year in school to learn how to teach? And then they give you like, here's exactly how you're going to teach what you're going to teach. So if you had full reign, no administration, and you were going to try and have the biggest impact on youth as possible to get them to live their fullest lives, how, how would you walk them through the scenarios? How would you guide them? So it would be fat. This great question. I wouldn't go back. <laughs> wouldn't go back. <laughs> um, and, and and I do partner with a friend. I have a friend who runs an organization called Lead Yourself Youth. So we're going into schools and we're doing professional development for teachers and also for students so that they can learn some of these key components. So for me, it would be instituting a class where kids are learning about their physiology. There's another cool organization that I'm not associated with at all that's called Physiology First, and they're doing awesome work with youth right now around teaching a lot of these components that we're talking about. So I think the basics of consciousness need to be taught. Like, I have a mind, it works this way. Most of the kids that I work with, because I do see a lot of athletes that come through, I get a lot of kids kind of ages 16 to 22, a lot of performance problems come up in that as they're getting ready to be recruited and go off to college and play. And at, no one knows thoughts aren't true. So any listener <laughs> who's listening right now, your thoughts aren't true. They're all brainwave activity, right? Like that's a really important concept that no one is teaching in schools. And it's crazy to me mm -hmm. because we have an epidemic right now of kids really in serious mental health situations and we're medicating kids, but we're not teaching them that, hey, this is about like how your brain is thinking. This is about what's happening in your body. So for me, it would be if I had to go back, it would be helping kids get some of this basic foundation around this is the mind-body connection. This is how your mind works. This is how your body works. And this is what you need to do in order to settle yourself. This is how to find a choice point, pause moment to make a different choice or to choose to not follow the threads of thoughts and instead choose a tool to work on your nervous system or calm your body down. So it'd be really instituting the basics. And that's when I have someone coming into my office, that's what we start with. Whether you're 15 or whether you're 50, that's where we have to start because if we don't have an self-awareness, then we can't really get to where we wanna go in an efficient way. This is all about harnessing and activating our potential as humans and our body, the organism that we're operating in, <laughs> works in a certain way. And so we have to learn how that works before we can really do anything else. So that's where I would start. Totally. Well, I appreciate you say that too. So my, my experience being a teacher and then I also was a camp counselor for a couple of summers where we dealt with some really crazy stories of yeah. abuse and all these different things that came in, people wanting to commit suicide, all that would come out. So we, in this camp, it was a lot of fun. The camp was all about having fun, but when you disconnect from your cell phones for a week, you're out hiking, having fun in nature, then you, there's just like, it seems like it was always on the Wednesday. It was like kids would get there on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night was always like that moment where all of the garbage that they had been dealing with comes out. Yeah. and. Like, I really appreciate that you talk about thoughts not being real. And I'm going to get this wrong, but I think it was Dr. Amen on a, a show with on uh, Impact Theory mm -hmm. um, was talking about the, they did brain scans. Have, have you seen uh -huh. this episode? Yeah. 
haven't. No. Oh, it was like it just I'll never forget it. So they they they're the, like the leading bra- uh, brain scanner for the NFL, but he also does yeah. some psychiatric work and whatnot. So he had this one guy come in who wanted to kill himself. And so he was going through a lot of thought patterns, but he also was like including diet in that. So he put the guy on an elimination diet and then slowly added the foods back. And when the guy added corn back into his diet, the suicidal thoughts came back instantly. And so he's like, Hey, you have to break up with corn because now you're suicidal. And it's, it's sad to think that had that guy not got help, he would have probably went through enough of those episodes. He probably would have committed suicide. And the key difference there was whatever corn was doing to his body. And in the same way, like our lack of awareness of our, you know, nervous systems, our lack of awareness of the power of how things work, I think can put people in a helpless state when they have a lot of power over the way that they, those feelings end up coming in, in the end. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really agree with that. I mean, it's amazing. It's what I geek out on all the time with the science about the body and the brain. It's like we have this capacity. I mean, I, that zero to 10 scale, I was my entire, for 30 years out of 10 all the time. And I've rewired and reprogrammed my system. So I'm a zero. Now that doesn't mean I don't get to a 10, but it means if I go to a 10, I can come out of that. And so, so many of us don't know how to do that. And then we stay stuck and then it just builds and then it creates disease in the body, whether that's depression or anxiety or illness or pain. And, and then we're medicating and that's a whole other topic. Right. (laughs) I would actually like to jump in. I just want to make a comment. Um, and and this is based on, on suicide ideation. So, I mean, bipolar disorder has about a 20% fatality rate in successful suicides, unfortunately. So one out of five people with bipolar disorder successfully killed themselves, and the statistics say up to 50% try. Luckily for me, I'm not a part of either of those statistics, but I do deal with suicidal ideation at times. It's not a thought process. It's not like, oh, I'm going to kill myself, but you know, I might be going for a run, and a car will be driving by, and my brain will be like, why don't you just run in front of that car? And and like you said... (laughs) The important thing is to acknowledge the thoughts are not real. So, I mean, I could totally just not acknowledge that thought and keep running. And that's been my process the whole time. Um, so I just wanted to comment that. I think yeah. I think a lot of people with suicidal thoughts don't realize that, that yes. they're not real. Yeah. They're just not real. <laughs> but they create a real physiological response in the body that's very uncomfortable to be. Mm-hmm. Right. So I might have a negative thought and then I feel a way in my body. And now I'm believing the thought because I feel a way in my body. And then I have more thoughts and I feel more of a way. And so, yeah, it's essential. You get to learn that. And then now I'm not hooking into those into those thoughts or you're even aware of them. Many people aren't even aware that they're having them. They just feel so overwhelmed and they're going to do the thing. And so the awareness, again, which takes time and patience and practice, but it's possible right? This, that self-awareness, being able to click into like what I would call an observer self, some part of you who could be neutral, non-judgmental, curious, like, oh, I feel this way. Oh, that's a thought. Oh, that thought said I should run into the car, right? We're just naming factually what's happening. Then we have a choice to do something differently. And when we start to work in the body or we start to notice our body, right? We, it can be uncomfortable because our bodies are uncomfortable. Sometimes we feel shame, we feel embarrassment, we feel anger. And so we do a lot to numb 
that. So when we start to play in the body or we start to bring awareness to the body, it might be overwhelming at first. So it's important to kind of, you know, be patient and kind and, you know, to be, you know, really going slow as you're starting to notice what might be coming up. So you gave Tim some suggestions about celebrating, which was essentially filling the void that was created by him not celebrating. For the the general person that wants to do more in business or do less, right, to be able to celebrate their their rest, what is a general framework that you would recommend? Is it daily, you know, affirmations? How does someone begin to change the way that they function? Yeah, it's a really good question and absolutely is individual based on who's like coming to my office. So it's a number of components that we're going to string together. So there's a huge mindset piece, mindset and doing mindset work where you're journaling and like whether you believe it or not, like you're saying all the things, all these new beliefs that were were talked about with Tim that we want to recreate for Tim. It's coming up with those and writing them over and over and over again or saying them out loud to somebody and having like a daily practice. I do that for five minutes. I do that for 10 minutes. And then the second component is a little bit of what I've been talking about around learning your nervous system and learning how your body is communicating. So starting to think, step one would be, where where am I a zero? Where is my baseline? It could be when I was 10 years old and I was on that cruise that one time we went on vacation and it was awesome, right? Or it could be Saturday morning when I don't have to set an alarm. I know that I'm relaxed. I can wake up and I'm okay. But starting to notice in your life or in your past, where have you been a zero? And as you're in zero moments or you're remembering the zero moments, checking physically in with your body. When you're at your baseline, when you're feeling confident, relaxed, and just chill, what does that physically feel like? Because we're starting to make connections around your nervous system communication and also um, and physically how you're feeling. So once I know what a zero feels like, it's way easier to get there in a triggered moment. If I'm an eight most of the time and like, I don't know what a zero feels like, I'm not going to be able to get there very quick. And so we have to kind of start really small in this like kind of almost silly way of like, oh, I was taking a shower and I was super relaxed and I noticed I could feel my feet and I was really present and I could feel the water in my hair. It's helping your body start to orient to those moments because we're wired for danger for those of us who are clicked in more into these automatic responses we then look for it right we look for the bad (laughs) we look for the negative it's the well-grooved pathway and so we have to slow it down and make intentional choices to orient in these different directions so for tim like we're trying to help him settle and learn how to celebrate Right. It is a piece about filling the void, but it's also to help his nervous system adjust, to help his nervous system integrate and start to feel okay with celebrating. Because I imagine when you say, oh, I celebrate this, your body's like, oh, I don't really know about that. Right. And so it's it's helping your body that when you do start to celebrate, you can feel the feel good feelings that like should be paired with the celebration. Right. So for for the listeners, it's finding your baseline, learning what your zero is 
And then starting to notice when you get activated, like noticing when your number clicks up, where are you? I mean, my husband's done a lot of work in the car. Now, I don't know if you all men are age mm-hmm. drivers over here, but like he comes from a you fiery Italian household. His immediate click in response is anger. He hops right up to a 10 and he's had to do a lot of work to not do that and to interrupt it. Or if he feels it, to then celebrate it and not swear for the next 20 minutes about the asshole who almost killed him. Okay. So, so it's learning baseline, doing your mindset, starting to work and notice your activation deactivation cycles. It's learning some physiological tricks in your body to settle your, your system. One trick just real quick for the audience is breathing. So there's sort of a misconception in, um, you know, settling your body, particularly in the sports world, that if you want to calm down, you need to take a deep breath. Uh Uh-uh, boo, wrong, okay? (laughs) Deep breathing, like while important and good for meditation and mindfulness and things, if you're jacked up, that's going to jack you up more. Your inhale is what jacks your nervous system up. And so just a quick breath trick to settle your nervous system is a long exhale. So I teach my athletes or anyone, entrepreneurs, anyone who's working with me, like a three, one, five breath where you're breathing in for three seconds, you're holding for one second, and then you're exhaling down and out for five or longer. And what that will do automatically is start to downregulate your nervous system and calm your body down. So it's then learning tools. So we got mindset, baseline, learning your activation, deactivation, and, um, and then learning how to start to settle your system. That would be where I would start. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, that's. I'm just kind of thinking about that as you're as you're describing it. Like I'm just thinking about all the nights that I wanted to go to sleep, and I took deep breaths and I couldn't go to sleep. So now I'm like, gosh, dang it! I just need to breathe out. So yes, yeah. And the other little trick too. So the other thing that I'm trained in, I'm trained in all of these weird and cool modalities is something called the melt method. So the melt method uses these little rubber balls and large soft foam rollers, and it hydrates your connective tissue system. So your nervous system lives in the connective tissue, those receptors. And so this modality, when you lie on the roller and you do a few moves, it brings your whole nervous system into parasympathetic. It helps you sleep through the night. It takes away pain that we have from aging or if you're working out or going hard as an athlete. So there are lots of really interesting pieces with melt, but for anyone who's having trouble with that, trying to like get yourself to just calm down. Like a lot of coaches are like, just calm down. What are you doing? You know? And you know, if I wanted to calm down as an athlete, I'd calm down. If I wanted to feel better, I would, if I could. And so what I love about melt is through these easy hand treatments and foot treatments and the roller, you can help your nervous system start to train to come out of the activation. Because if you've been in activation most of your life and you're going and you're in that autopilot and the churning, we need to help your whole fascia system, that whole connective tissue system, come out of the holding. So melt might be something to check out. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> Love it. So what, what are you up to the next 12, 6 to 12 months? What are you building? 
to 12 months. Wow, what a question. I have been working on following threads that light me up and get me excited. When I first quit my job, I immediately just had a full practice. I was very, I'm very grateful for my father, but I would say I, I'm good, very talented at working with athletes. It's not necessarily my passion. I love my work with entrepreneurs. I feel like we all need to learn how to expand our capacity energetically and physically so that we can be making the changes that we want to see. So I have um, one-on-one coaching programs that I run for people who are looking for support in that area to learn a lot of the components that we're talking together. I also think as we uh, get more visibility and as we have more success, that takes expansion in our nervous system, particularly if we didn't grow up with money or there are stories ancestrally in our family around holding money and success. And so I'm really passionate about helping entrepreneurs really learn how to navigate in the system so we can be making the big change that we want to see. Like we're in a crisis point right now on, on our planet and it's time for us all to really step up. And we can't do that if we feel fear. Literally the fear holds us back. And so learning from a body perspective, particularly if you've done a lot of therapy or you've done a lot of work intellectually and have made shifts and changes, but you're not seeing the results in your body, you still feel nervous or have doubts or get sick or are pushing through. I'm really working on a lot of different things behind the scenes around helping people with that. And I'm launching a podcast also coming Yay. up. About. Yes. Yeah. When's that coming out? Do you know? Hopefully at the end of September. I have a few recorded and my business coach wants me to get more recorded before I launch. Hmm. So that's what I'm working on right now. But it's called Multidimensional Transmissions. And it's about uh, meeting with different people so that we can model that we get to be multi-passionate and have businesses because part of what I struggled a lot with at the beginning was I am so interested in so many different threads and I have so many different people that I want to work with. And I was told a lot I needed to niche and I needed to kind of like focus in. And I'm really all about like, how do we just get to embrace all of our gifts? Yeah. That that's okay. (laughs) How fun. Yeah. That's absolutely tremendous. I'm like super stoked for your podcast because just talking with you over the past hour has been just tremendous. I mean, I'll definitely be checking that out. I certainly encourage the audience to check that out as well. Sarah, anybody looking for a peak performance coach or anybody impressed with what you've done today, which for me has been tremendous, um, how would they get in touch with you so that they could get that ball rolling? Cool. Yeah. So I have two websites. Uh, Peakperformwithsarah.com is my peak performance website. And then sarahvittori.com is my somatic and energetic website. So you can find me there. I just started an Instagram for the sport. So it's not, I don't really, it's not really up and running yet, but that, that is at embodied performance on Instagram. And I'm also at expand your capacity on Facebook and at sarah.vittori on Instagram for the somatic work too. Absolutely tremendous. We'll obviously have all that information for the viewers to get easy access to you in the show notes. Um, we did make a note to say something that I could celebrate at the end yeah. of this. So I'm, I'm going to throw that out yes. there. I think a celebra- something worth celebrating is just the fact that I was vulnerable here in a public forum 
talking about emotions and stuff like that, which is extremely unnatural for me. <laughs> it is extremely unnatural for me. I, I, I spend most of my life not even being able to, to identify my feelings. So just talking through that, I think, is certainly something worth celebrating. Totally. And um, Tim, freedom is one action at a time. So good job taking that action. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, you got to take that first step, right? You got to take that first step. So Sarah Vittori, thank you so much for giving us a glimpse into your life and into your business and to everybody else out there chasing freedom. Like Mr. Matt Cavanaugh just said, freedom is acquired one action at a time. Every small step is worth taking. So please commit to taking an action within the next seven days and tell somebody you know that can hold you accountable. And before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next one. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 